Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, October 2nd, 2023. On the show today, news, listener questions, and in surveys, I'm more convinced than ever that the Star Cruiser isn't dead. Then in our main segment, we get so much listener mail about last week's fireworks show with details that we didn't know about the first time around, we're going to revisit that again. Let's get started by bringing in the man who's renaming his cats Ketchup and Seemingly Ranch. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Well, Len, we originally called them Betty and Ginger, but is, is anyone who listened to the Disney dish back in August when, when Josh Gad filled in for you, mm-hmm. uh, that show actually ended with a pretty spectacular sounding cat fight going on in the background, <laughs> you know. So, you know, we changed their names at that point to Bitey and Fighty. Bitey and Fighty, um, yeah, yeah. Bitey and Friday. But but this now brings me to a review of the Disney dish that Andy from Idaho recently posted over on iTunes. And the headline for this three-star review reads, informative, but too much background noise. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so, so here we go. Uh, the review itself reads, let Jim and Len do a good job presenting a fun and informative podcast, but I personally find it difficult to finish episodes sometimes because of all the background noises. Tables being set, sirens, construction, and catfights. These are some of the noises that have detracted from the 10 or so episodes I have listened to so far. And Len, gotta tell you, I'm of two minds when it comes to this review. Uh, one part of me wants to sincerely apologize to Andy from Idaho for, about all the noise in the background, but there's another part of me who who wants to reach out to Aaron uh, Aaron Adams, the guy who t- who edits the the you know or, uh, the Disney Dish, and I want to ask him, can you create a sound effect that makes Disney Dish listeners think that they're hearing two cats fighting on the back of a moving fire <laughs> truck while they're setting a table? You know, lean into it, in other words. <laughs> Yeah. There we go. There we go. So I mean, you know, that's, but again, that's the uh, thing. It's the the time that works out best for us is is the middle of the day, and, and, and right. stuff and happens in the middle of the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We try and we try and minimize it. Aaron does a great job of uh, killing a lot of it. Yeah, sometimes it guys, it's just unavoidable. So there we go. Anyway, so. but thanks for the uh, thanks for the review. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Andy. All right, Jim. Let's do a quick shout out mm-hmm. to subscribers over at DisneyDish.bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers LH60563, J Press. Jenny Cat, and Big Bad John, and longtime subscribers Sarah Lynn, Matthew Pittman, Sean Moore, and Mark Brinkerhoff. Jim, these are the new flight attendants for Epcot's re-released Soren over California. They say the best part of the job is meeting new people and getting to sleep at home every night, and the hardest part of the job is figuring out what to do with all the Cheez-Its and peanut snacks they never have time to hand out during the flight. <laughs> True story. <laughs> All right, I I have always wanted to ask about who was it that decided when they were they were making those snacks on the plane. It's like okay, five peanuts or six. What are we going for <laughs> exactly, here, guys? Yeah. You, know, you, you know, know, there's someone who does that too. Could we make it four and a half? I mean, that would be a huge savings this quarter. Oh, it was actually yeah. on a JetBlue flight uh, uh, recently where there were so few mm-hmm. people on the plane, they gave us one mm-hmm. of every snack without asking. And people were like, it was like Oprah's things, like Oprah's favorite things. People handed like, and you get a granola bar, and you get a granola. It was, people were very happy. It's, you know. That's funny. That's funny. All right. All right, folks, before we do the news, a quick plug for our new show. Jim and I have been working with Imagineer Jim Scholl for almost two years on a new video series that explains how your favorite Disney attractions got built. The show is called Disney Unpacked. It comes out later this year. And you can see a preview of it at youtube.com slash at Disney Unpacked. Mm-hmm. On to the news. The news is sponsored by Touring Plans Travel Agency. We can help you book your next trip. Plus, it comes with a free Touring Plans subscription. Check us out at touringplans.com slash dish. All right, Jim, the news. Mm-hmm. First, uh, the Brightline train service has now opened between Orlando and Miami. I saw that. Yeah. You know, the, the big yellow ribbon cutting and the confetti and everything. It's yeah. true. And our own Christina Harrison, Christina, rode the rails from Miami to Orlando to see what it was like. She loved it. Uh, so a couple of uh, things that uh, she wants to highlight. It's $79 mm-hmm. in coach one way, $149 mm-hmm. in premium, but premium comes with food and Ooh, Wi-Fi. Okay. So it's about three and a half mm-hmm. hours one way, which is mm-hmm. almost exactly what it is to uh, to drive. They have at least half a dozen trains per day going between Orlando and Miami. So take your pick of schedules. Um, in comparison, Amtrak has two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this train, the Brightline, goes at speeds up to 160 miles an hour. 
So at some point you're really moving. Uh, also, if you're coming into or out of Orlando, it's at Terminal C in Orlando mm -hmm. and not A and B. So you get to see the new terminal with its uh, intermodal transportation uh, uh, area in there, which is really, really nice. Terminal C is actually pretty nice too. I've been been there quite a few times. been trying to invent a reason to get over there. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's really okay. nice. Yeah, it's got really nice lounges. I mean, basically it looks like a really upscale mall. Huge too. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it does. Yeah. It does. Can't wait to, uh, can't wait to mm -hmm. try this on my, uh, my next trip to Miami because it, it definitely feels a need. Oh, God, yes. Also, Jim, uh, Journey of Water, inspired by Moana, opened uh, this last Monday to annual Pestle to Previews at Epcot. Uh, Disney added a virtual queue line at the last minute for a walkthrough attraction. Why, Jim? Because it's always mm -hmm. a surprise to Disney when Disney opens something. I don't know if you also saw the stuff on social media where, I mean, you want to talk about irony that they actually had to close uh, Journey of Water in, inspired by Moana because it was raining. raining. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, folks. Come back when it's not wet. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. It's, it's a great okay. walkthrough, though. It's a lot of fun. So, And the, uh, the lines okay. will calm down. So, Also, Jim, uh, Disney announced a new set of hotel room discounts. And this one is, uh, the headline here is, Book Early and Save up to 25% on rooms at select Disney Resort hotels in the new year. And the reason why I mentioned this particular discount is that it's coming about a month earlier than they normally announce these deals. And I think wow. this is Disney testing to see how soft early 2024 is going to be. And I went back in... Right, so go ahead. No, no, no. I just... And forgive me, your, the, the, your example here uh, shows the Wilderness Lodge in the background. Is, is, is that in on the pile in the list here? It is. Um, and that's at the, uh, the higher end because it's a deluxe, so you get a, a steeper discount on that. But the, uh, the other interesting thing that I looked at here was how does this discounted mm -hmm. price compare to the discounted price of rooms over the past decade. Like, is this a is this a fantastic deal or not? And so I went back and looked, I only had time to look at Pop Century, but I went back and looked mm -hmm. at um, ev the cheapest Pop Century room every year from 2013 mm -hmm. through 2024 with the rack rates. I converted mm -hmm. it to $20, $23 using you know, inflation calculators. And then I took mm -hmm. the maximum discount available you know, for that. So there's a little bit of math involved here, but there are a couple of interesting things. So in 2023 dollars, the cheapest mm -hmm. pop century room in 2013, so 10 years ago, cost $125. Now it's $174. So the price mm -hmm. has gone up by you know almost 40% over the mm -hmm. in in the last decade. The the interesting thing though is you know prices pretty much tracked inflation plus a little bit up through 2019. So in 2019, mm -hmm. a pop century room in 2023 dollars went for $157. The mm -hmm. next year, it jumped up 16% to 183. So the big jump in prices, yeah, big jump in prices was from 2019 to 2020. So they actually raised mm -hmm. prices going into the pandemic, which nobody knew about the pandemic, but that was the big price mm -hmm. increase. And prices have actually, in, in, in 2023 dollars, prices have actually come down from the 2020 peak. So it, was, it peaked at $183 in 2021, it was the same. If you look at uh, this year though, it's $174. Right now, a, a discounted 2024 room at Pop Century in mm -hmm. constant dollars uh, goes for about 158 bucks. And that puts it somewhere around 2020 prices. So this isn't the best deal that we've seen over the past decade. It is the pretty much the best deal that we've seen in the last five years since 2020. Okay. And that's okay. where. That price jump from 2019 to 2020, mm -hmm. had the resort been offline? Did they do a soft goods update or a hard goods? I mean, how do you justify jumping the, the pop century 16% in one year? Yeah, I mean, I think it was a combination of the um, them finishing up the, uh, the room renovations and then noticing that the Skyliner makes it more popular. Oh! God, you're right. The Skyliner. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Please disregard. I'm a moron. Okay. <laughs> anyway. I, 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 I only remembered it when you started talking about it. But yeah, but those are the two things. Yeah. So there we go. There we go. Uh, so to put that $158 discounted pop century room into perspective, right now the least mm -hmm. expensive DVC points rental for January 2024 is running about $200 to $250 a night. It's typically at Old Key West. Mm -hmm. And the pop has Skyliner, of course. So uh, it's a better. It's it's probably the least expensive room that you're going to find on property in one of the value resorts uh, with this discount. All right, Jim. On to surveys. On last week's mm -hmm. show, we mentioned getting a glimpse into the in-depth surveys for the Galactic Star Cruiser, and this week mm -hmm. we got to talk with someone who's done one of those one-on-one -on -one surveys. Not going to mention anyone's name. Not going to mention when it was happening. Okay. But I do have a list of the questions okay. that Disney asked 
in this one-on-one -on -one personal interview about the SAR cruiser. Okay. So I'm going to break this up into, into three or four categories. The first one is pre-arrival okay. questions. And those questions were, where did you first hear about the Galactic Star Cruiser? How did you prepare mm -hmm. for it? The one thing I'd like to hear or to see in a follow-up question about this is, um, you know, when it asks, where did, uh, where did you hear about the Galactic Star Cruiser? I think one of the mm -hmm. big things that we've talked about on the show is that Disney's marketing was off for the Star Cruiser. It was. It was. So what I'd, what but, I'd like to see a follow-up question here is, what did you think the Galactic Star Cruiser was when you first mm -hmm. heard about it? Like, did you think it was a hotel mm -hmm. or did you think it was an mm -hmm. experience? Another thing worth noting here, that how long did it take you to prepare your character yeah. question? Remember, you know, when you and Chrissy came back from getting, you know, you were on the first sailing yep. of the Halcyon. Yep. And, had, you know, and Chrissy, you know, and again, I love your sister, you know, but but she thinks of herself more as an introvert. And she, she described how hanging, you know, she hung back and watched, you know, other people, you know, really get into the, you know, the show, so to speak. And, you know, that whole notion of how long did it take to prepare your character yeah. I, I think there's a n number of people who when they heard about the galactic star cruiser and heard about well you you know you got to buy clothes and you got to have a character and you got to really throw yourself into it right. you know they were those folks who was like geez that sounds like a lot of work and i i want to do this i don't want to necessarily do that much homework before i go on vacation right so I, I, I kind of get that. It's interesting that you mentioned the introvert thing because there's actually a question on that that we're going to talk about. Oh, okay. All right. The next section of the interview uh, dealt with things that happened while on board the Star Cruiser. Mm -hmm. And the questions were these. Which storyline were you on? And that implies actually that you know that you were on a Jedi path mm -hmm. or a smuggler's path, which is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. That's kind of like an in, uh, inside baseball question right there. But mm -hmm. the next questions, what events mm -hmm. impacted your personal story? What did you talk about? with each of the characters. What was your first interaction with each character? And then Jim, mm -hmm. are you an introvert or an extrovert? And so I, this was an interesting question to me because this would be something that I thought Disney would have known about its audience for the Star Cruiser years ago when they were first planning this. Because if, here was my, my sort of line of thought here. If introverts are a large segment of the Star Wars fan base and they realized that they would have to be extroverts for this experience, mm -hmm. you've already eliminated most of the people who would enjoy this thing the most. So asking this question after the fact is kind of interesting. So just as a follow-up, I um, emailed one of our friends, Alexis mm -hmm. Frenzies, who is the uh, chair of the psychology department at Elon University in North Carolina. I'm like, hey, Alexis, what mm -hmm. percent of the U.S. population considers themselves introverted? And it varies, you know, based on exactly how you define it and, you know, time and stuff like that. But generally between like 30 and 50 percent of the population considers themselves extra uh, introverted. So most people are extroverted. And I think this is one of those things where, again, if, if you have a fan base that is uh, made up of a larger than usual percentage of introverts, you would probably have to adjust the story based on that. Last three questions, though, were super interesting. And again, I think it points to all of the different ways in which Disney's trying to redo the Star Cruiser experience to make it shorter and more mm -hmm. effective. Also, they're also looking, Jim, I think this is no doubt, to make it cheaper to run. Because remember, one of the yep. reasons it's closing is Disney couldn't make money on it at $5,000 <laughs> per voyage, mm -hmm. right? Okay. Damn. So the, th yep. the, th the three questions were, how could Disney better integrate D3, so the AI robot in the room, into the story? And so when, when you and I were there, I think we, we played with it, you know, the little in-room video screen bot thing. But it didn't really seem to impact the story. You know, when I'm, I'm at Walt Disney World, typically when I return to, you know, my hotel room, this is where... You know, my island of, of peace, you know, yeah. I, I, you know, this is where I go to regroup before I go back out and play. And so the whole notion, I'm, and I have to tell you, Nancy definitely, you know, played with D3. In fact, we, I forget which of the, the folks on the, the Disney Dish fan event we did on the thing persuaded her, oh, you got to have it tell you a bedtime story. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, it's the effect of, no, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm off the clock at this point. I'm not going to check in with the droid. And well, that's a great point, you know, actually. I, yeah. Cause if, if you, if it becomes something that you have to interact with. Yeah. Then it's yeah. a then it's a chore. Yeah. Then you're, then you're never mm -hmm. truly off, even in the room, which again, going back mm -hmm. to the introvert extrovert thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, the idea that they uh, they want to integrate more automated things into the story mm -hmm. means that they're looking mm -hmm. for ways to cut costs. Also, 
The next question is related. It was, uh, how could Disney improve the interactions on the data pads to better support the story? And uh, so one of the pieces of feedback that Disney's getting here is everyone seems to get the same activities when they're on Batuu, regardless of which story you're on. They just change the text to say, you're helping this person. We need you to do this same thing that everyone else is doing. So you may have to like, you know, go examine a crate and everyone examines the same crate but the rationale mm-hmm. for examining the crate is different mm-hmm. depending on the story you're, you're on. And I think people figure that out pretty, pretty quickly, especially if they're talking to each other on the Star oh, yeah. Cruiser. So yeah. they're, I think they're looking for ways here to, number one, expand the number of interactions. And again, that's also cheaper than dealing with regular you know, with human beings. Number two, making it varied so that everyone doesn't do the same thing. Okay. The third question, though, Jim, and this is the last big one. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you made any impact on the story? Wow. And, and here's the, the thing that amazes me here is that is so not Disney. I mean, the way that this thing was conceived was everyone is in for the exact same adventure. Like, you can't change the ending. Remember, we talked about this. Like, I was originally going to try and, uh, on the first Star Cruiser, stage a mutiny, right? Be- mm-hmm. on, on, on the idea, <laughs> on the idea that, that if this really was a choose-your-own-adventure game, I should be able to do that. And we quickly realized that no matter what you did, it has no impact on the story. So I wonder, mm-hmm. by asking this question, do you feel like you made any impact on the story? Right? What are they, what are they going for there? Because it's, it's not like they're asking, do you want to make an impact on the story? Or should you have? It's, do you feel mm-hmm. like you did? Is that something you're supposed to walk away with? You know, the, the notion of, I saved the galaxy. You know, that... Well, I mean, and here's the thing. If, if they mm-hmm. want future guests, like, let, let's just assume here, this is going to be a mm-hmm. one-day experience and add on to a mm-hmm. park visit. For Disney to be able to allow guests to make an impact on the story means the story has to be open-ended. I don't know how you... I mean, and Disney is famous for control, right? I don't know how those two things mesh. The talent is very talented. Don't get me wrong. They could do it. You know, starting a day-long adventure where you don't know exactly where it's going to end is not something that Disney has a lot of experience with, I think. And I I think that's going to be off-putting to management. Well, all right. Let me share a story that Bruce Gordon once told me about once upon a time, Disney was looking at doing, you know, a theme park, a one-day theme park experience where it would be limited to 1,500 guests, and that's it. That's the only number of guests that could be allowed into the park. And and the whole notion was that you created moments where guests had an impact. I mean, for example, before you arrived at the park, after you'd bought your admission for this teeny little intimate Disney theme park experience, they sent you a light bulb. And it's the effect of they told you to come to this warehouse, go to this corner of the warehouse at this certain time of day and bring the light bulb. And how, the thing how many is, guests so you, does it change, take to change a light bulb, Jim? Well, <laughs> right. but, but here's the brilliant thing they did was that, that, you know, so you step into the door opens, you step into this darkened warehouse and who comes running at you out of the darkness but the dream finder. Oh. And the thing is, the dream finder said, asks, oh, good, you're here. Did you bring the light bulb? Yes, yes, we did. He takes the light bulb out of your hand and he screws it into the just air that's in front of you. But what happens is suddenly behind you, a thousand other light bulbs just like it light up and it's Main Street. Oh. You know, they, they, you <laughs> created Main Street. Right. And then, yeah, okay. you right. know, and then at the end of the night, literally, I mean, and this is after a day where you literally joined Buzz Lightyear on a, a Star Cruiser with Buzz piloting the ship while you fired at Zerg or you went to Uncle Albert's, you know, house with Mary Poppins and had tea as you floated on the ceiling wow. and that sort of thing. And okay, yeah. It, the way the show ended at night was you suddenly there was a lagoon space in in the middle of of this giant warehouse and all 1500 of you this is the first time you've been together all night and they do this amazing indoor light show and it ends with the uh, the dream finder floating out over the uh, this lagoon on a hot air balloon and he's illuminated by the one light bulb oh. that you brought him and he then he thanks you and reaches up and literally pulls the light cord and lights go out but then there's a lighted path that leads you you know on your way out the door and they at the door you're greeted by a disney attendant oh, the, oh by the way the dream fighter wanted us to give you this back and you get your light bulb back 
And, but it, see, it that's sounds, the thing. It sounds great. It's very personalized. The effects sound amazing. Jim, I'm thinking yep. that's $50,000 a person. <laughs> no, 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 that was an example. You know, that, that, was, that was the story that Bruce told me. Everyone thought it was the most amazing thing, and then, then we laid down, well, this is what it's going to cost. Yeah. $25,000 per person. Yeah. <laughs> we can't do that. We can't do that. But, man, wouldn't it be cool oh, if God, we could do that? Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's amazing. All right. So when uh, anyway. so anyway so I, again I, I think based on the surveys that they're doing here we are going to see a modified uh, Star mm-hmm. Cruiser experience. Okay. I think the okay. thing I th- and I, honestly God I think the thing that changed management's mm-hmm. mind is mm-hmm. the reaction of people booking once they mm-hmm. announced it was closing. There are stories here that we can't mm-hmm. tell in public. You know mm-hmm. what they are, Jim. Yeah. But I think I think really think that closing it actually saved the Star Cruiser. I will give you guys one story. So Jim and I talk about you know, things all the time, mm-hmm. and, and we have stories that we, we can only tell mm-hmm. long after the people involved are gone. <laughs> there we go. There are many there of them. Here, okay, and I'm gonna give okay. you one now because the Star Cruiser mm-hmm. is closed, and this particular person, mm-hmm. who I'm not gonna name, has moved on. Mm-hmm. When I did the original journey on the Star Cruiser, I told the story on the show of me doing a dance in front of the mm-hmm. Stormtroopers, where I said, you guys may uh, may look like giant Q-tips, but you have the legs of a ballerina. I am I am casting performers for my next uh, film in the Hank Lonely series. It's going to be a Bollywood-style musical, and I mm-hmm. basically did the routine from Robin Williams' The Birdcage, where he does the dance where it's like you have to fussy, 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 fussy. What? No, it's just a wonderful yeah. bit. Wonderful bit. <laughs> but you but you keep it on side. Okay, so I do that yeah. right, and the stormtroopers. Mm-hmm have absolutely no idea how to respond to mm-hmm. that. And again, remember, this is the very first voyage, so everything is new to everyone. Mm-hmm. I get done with the routine, and two things happen. One is some woman that I don't know walked up to me and said, that was the single greatest moment of my entire life. And she was a passenger. <laughs> the second thing was, I, because I'm an introvert, mm-hmm. I went over to a corner to get a glass of water. And this is the story you guys haven't heard before, but I can tell it now. Okay. I'm over there drinking a glass of water, and the wall opens up. It's a door that I did not know was there. Mm-hmm. Cast member walks out from it and sa- introduces themselves and says what they do on the Star Cruiser, which I won't name, mm-hmm. give you the name or the title. But this person, mm-hmm. the cast member says to me, we need your permission to show the video that we took of you doing the dance to future mm-hmm. cast members so that they understand how people are preparing to be on the Star Cruiser. And I said, absolutely, knock yourself out. So, so number one, I, I was apparently training material for the right reasons. <laughs> cool. But then the next, thing this, cool. the next thing this person says is, I understand you have eight by 10 glosses of yourself. Can I have one autographed? <laughs> I was like, absolutely. Here you go. <laughs> What a great story. <laughs> All right, so never before yeah, told. You know, obviously couldn't tell it when the Star Cruiser was was around, mm-hmm. but uh, it's closed now, so that's yeah. uh, fine. There are mm-hmm. a couple of other ones for some very interesting Disney people that I met some other time. But mm-hmm. uh, but anyway, that was uh, that was it. Again, I think it's coming back, so super excited. Mm-hmm. All right, on to listener questions, Jim. This one's from Xavier. He says, I'm a big mm-hmm. fan of Disney parades, especially a parade here in Disneyland. My question is, were there any plans for the Magic Kingdom to have a new parade for the 50th anniversary? <laughs> Plans? Speaking of yeah. story, yeah. stories, we can't tell. Yeah. Um, all, all right. Here's the deal. You got to understand that, that. Remember, the 50th anniversary, uh, you know, happened. You know, officially kicked off September 30th, 2021. And you know, remember that the pandemic began. You know, March of 2020, and yes, there there were all sorts of plans that were in the works. But remember how Bob Iger initially handed the keys, you know, over to Bob Chapek in like late February, early March. You know, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, Iger was looking over the horizon at what was going on in China. It's like, oh no, don't want to be driving the bus on this one. Yeah. Here, you know, throw him the keys. It's yours. But at the same time, there were so many things that were about to be fabricated that were about out to be put uh, into production yeah. uh, that would have al- arrived at the parks some 18 months later. So what we ended up getting uh, really is our, uh, for the kingdom uh, was the fireworks. Oh, kind of I'd, I'd already show. completely forgot about the uh, the fireworks. I thought you were going to go with iridescent so, cupcakes, but okay. <laughs> 
Well, you know, th those two. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's just sort of like, you know, I mean, and that's the thing. There was a full seven years of planning that, you know, yeah. was done out ahead. They literally had an all hands on deck in, you know, when the park closed in 2020. And initially, Disney World is like, how long are we going to be closed? And yeah. it's like, and the fear was that it would stay as long, closed as long as, as Disneyland did, which would, what, yeah. 15 months? Yeah, that was brutal. Um, yeah. Yeah, so th that was the thing. that the, the one thing that they knew they could get done, because you can do it on a computer, because you've done other fireworks projection shows, right. is Enchantment. And I think it speaks volumes. When you think about how long, for example, something like Wishes ran at the park. Oh, yeah. Where, what was it? Enchantment ran from uh, you know, September 30th, 2021 to April of this year. And then it's like, eh, we're bringing back happily ever after. Yeah, it, Why? It did Don't not, ask. It did, not, it did not survey well. It was no, it was a, it was a no. mess in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yes, there was a parade planned, but on the other hand, if you remember the story that Len told just on the last show about the character Cavalcades, Cavalcades you know, baby. Yeah, so it's an interesting situation, folks. Yeah, I don't expect uh, the Magic Kingdom to get a new nighttime parade uh, anytime soon. I think it would be, no. it, it, and the only reason if it did get one, it would be because it's too expensive to build an actual attraction, and a parade is a is a better short term fix. So we might see it for mm. that, but I I'm suspicious that we won't. Yep. yep. Mm -hmm. All right. Here's a question from Nate. Uh, on your last mm -hmm. show, you mentioned the idea of bringing a Rocketeer coaster to Tomorrowland. Well, I'd love to see that IP brought back anywhere. I've often imagined it adjacent to Tower of Terror in the studios. Rock and Roller Coaster is due for a retheme, and the Rocketeer would be a perfect thematic fit for Sunset Boulevard. Please tell me someone has considered this. Ooh, from your lips to God's ears, Nate. Well, I, I will say this much, that, that once upon a time, there was a plan to actually put the South Seas Dinner Club that you see mm. in the original Rocketeer movie on Sunset Boulevard that was going to be this amazing dinner club experience and part of the entertainment was going to be a moment where suddenly the Rocketeer is in the club and a, a fight breaks out with gangsters. And uh, Jim, that's an excellent segue because we got another listener question from Jason uh, who says mm -hmm. this, I think an interesting segment would be about rides and attractions in the park that are way more popular and successful than the underlying movie. Hint, Rocketeer. For example, everyone associates Br'er Rabbit and Zippity Doodah with Splash Mountain way more than with Song of the South. Similarly, at Universal, Waterworld continues to be a must-see, but that Kevin Costner film underwhelmed. What other examples are there of theme park attractions that debuted alongside or after the movie TV show, but have eclipsed in success, acclaim, and popularity? All right, so that is an it is. It's a good question. So we'll have to. We'll do. So yeah. I, I came up with a quick list, but if anyone has any other ideas, mm -hmm. let me know. So, uh, so again, let me get to attractions that came after the movie, so not Haunted Mansion, mm -hmm. Pirates of the Caribbean, which Jim, you have noted, came out after Disney's earlier swashbuckling films, mm -hmm. right? This is true. I, you know, mm -hmm. I would throw Jungle Cruise in there because we all know it came from African Queen, the Humphrey Bogart mm -hmm. movie, but nobody <laughs> under the age of fifty remembers that film. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Very true. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Mm -hmm. uh, rock and Roller Coaster. And I put this in there because Aerosmith hasn't put on an album in decades. <laughs> true. And then, true. Uh, okay. Same thing with uh, Tower of Terror. Like, Twilight Zone mm -hmm. is probably not familiar to anyone under the age of 50. Well, it's so interesting you bring that up because think about it. When they decided to take this ride system, to Tokyo Disney Seas. We love the drop. We love the setting. Yeah, the Japanese are, we have no idea what this television show is you're talking about. Exactly. So that, that's that's why they had to invent, you know, the Harrison Hightower, you know, storyline. Because it's uh, otherwise, this just made no sense. Well, there you go, Jason, right there. And then the, uh, the last one I would throw in would be the sci-fi dine-in. And the reason I'm throwing it in there is I would argue <laughs> that most of the people going there have never been to a drive-in. I mean, when was the last time you went to a drive-in, Jim? We actually have one of the um, the remaining ones here in New England, just just a town or so over, the Milford Drive-In. And I, I want to say the very last time, geez, what Pixar film did we see there? Oh, you, you actually saw a um, modern film in a drive-in. Well, uh, relatively modern. <laughs> I might have been up uh, 2006, 2007. I mean, okay. you know. So it's been, uh, it's been a few decades. It, it's been more than 10 years. But even then, it was like you didn't hang the speaker off of your window. You turned the radio on. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Good, good. It's, a, it's a good list. Good, good question. Yeah. All right. Fair, all, right. Mm -hmm. all right. Last uh, email is from Jonah, who says, Hi, Len mm -hmm. and Jim. I'm a longtime listener and fellow data geek. I was so excited 
when you were talking last week about the market price of vegetarian options at 50s mm -hmm. primetime cafe. So just as a quick aside, remember last week, Jim, we had said that Disney had started to put the words market price on the vegetarian mm -hmm. dishes at yep. 50s primetime cafe. And I joked that now along with doing your uh, Genie Plus reservations at 7 a.m., you can catch the morning farm report as well to figure out what you're going to pay for tomatoes at 50s Prime mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, Jonah writes in and says, uh, I'm a market research expert in fresh foods, and they've started to watch as the fluctuating prices are now causing outlets to try and make back profits by charging based on yielded demand. While it's more popular in meat and cheese, where input costs mm -hmm. are erratic, given that there's so many mm -hmm. different produces being produced from all over the country and beyond, it's not that common to do market pricing in vegetables. Maybe this is where mm -hmm. Disney's strategy, the data strategy of being able to charge mm -hmm. prices based on demand is another way that Disney profit centers are outsmarting us all. They have so much amazing data, and as much as I hate to pay extra, I'm kind of in awe at how they're able to use it all. Imagine if those apple orchards Jim talked about had the kind of market intel guiding their strategy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is true. Go with the pink ladies, not the Macintosh. <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> Fuji's, are you insane in this economy? <laughs> There we go. There we go. I love it that uh, that Jonah is a uh, is a market research expert in fresh foods. Mm -hmm. Like we have all kinds of listeners who do fascinating I, things. It's I, just kind of great. I love our audience. <laughs> you know, from Andy in Idaho all the way across the barn. So you know. <laughs> all right, folks. We're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim continues the story of the best fireworks show ever seen in Walt Disney World. We'll be right back. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all know what's good for us, right? Eat an apple instead of grabbing a handful of Halloween candy. Or better yet, go outside, take a walk, rather than sitting there for another hour thumbing through TikTok. Unfortunately, it's at moments like this where sometimes your brain is not your friend. It makes you think of that embarrassing thing you did back in third grade, or worse, something that you said at the office just today that you really wish you could take back right now, which then sets a spiral of negative thoughts and feelings in motion. Look. We've all had moments in our lives like this where your brain gets in the way. I mean, you know what you should do, what's good for you, but then you just can't bring yourself to do it. <sighs> if you've experienced a moment like this where you just can't figure out what's holding you back, well, therapy can help you learn to work for yourself rather than against yourself. And look, folks, I, I know of what I speak here. Back in the mid-1990s, I was the poster child for self-destructive behavior. I could snatch defeat from the jaws of victory without even trying. But eventually, therapy helped me get those behaviors under control. I mean, I'm human. I still have bad days. But at least nowadays, I know why I'm having a bad day. And thanks to what I learned from my therapist, I can then course correct. So if you're hankering to become a better version of yourself... Take it from me, therapy helps. And if you're thinking about starting therapy, well, why not give BetterHelp a try? BetterHelp is entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So make your brain your friend with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DisneyDish today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash DisneyDish. We thank them for sponsoring today's episode. And we're back. All right, Jim, I didn't read one listener question that we got because I wanted to use it as an intro for this topic. And that listener okay. uh, email was from Mandy who wrote in with a comment about last week's best fireworks show ever story. And Mandy says, This fireworks story reminded me of when I worked in the Magic Kingdom's labor department in the mid-2000s. I was in the modified duty office, where we handled cast members working with workers' compensation restrictions who couldn't perform their regular jobs. One of the many positions we had to fill was for two people daily to pick up live fireworks shells. And simply assigning someone to this task led to many swift injury recoveries, and we never heard from them again as they promptly returned ready to work back to their originally assigned home locations. P.S. The equity performers in entertainment were always the fastest out the door and back to their regular jobs. <laughs> <You know. laughs> I 
you like can't, you can't stand on your fingers. feet all day. You know? Hey, you know what? We've got a job yeah. where you can sit down for almost all of it. Yeah, it's driving the fireworks truck. Hello? Hello? <laughs> <laughs> and they're gone. And they're gone. Hi. No, 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 no. But again, th- this was one of many amazing, oh God, yeah. you know, emails and, and letters and folks reaching out with, with stories, again, which keyed off of how we talked about last week, the American Pyrotechnic Association celebrating their 50th anniversary of the founding of that organization by holding their annual convention on, on Walt Disney World property, which again... Made sense. I mean, Disney World is the world's largest user of pyrotechnic materials. Mm -hmm. So they supposedly closed out this event with the most spectacular fireworks display ever presented on property. But given, you were just talking about the the wonderful audience we have here for Disney Dish. So it's really not a surprise that a few of you were actually on property back in September of 1998. And you witnessed this dazzling display in person. So So jealous. I'm so jealous right now. So again, uh, given these stories too good to share, we're going to punt the Peter Pan feature we were going to do for this week. Uh, we'll discuss that Fantasyland favorite next week. But first, let's start with Brandon Holst's recollection of that night's events. Right. So it says, gentlemen, longtime listener, first time uh, writer. I'm a veteran theme park operator and still work in the industry as a consultant and really enjoy the scientific technical angle Len brings to the podcast in addition to Jim's wonderful historic insights. Hmm. I particularly enjoyed this week's feature on Rockin' Rockets event from 1998. That year, I was a guest service manager in monorail operations at Walt Disney World. And since I was the new guy... I was assigned to be the monorail liaison for this event. And we had to park all trains inside stations while the pyrotechnics were going off, just in case of a stray shell careening into the beam. That's true. Um, You know, and then after the show concluded, the maintenance team then drove the tractors around the beamway to inspect for damages before we could then give the all clear and restart the monorail Good point, good point. So... All right, so you can imagine my disappointment, sarcasm intended, uh, when I was told that my position during Rockin' Rockets would be atop the southwest corner rooftop of the Contemporary Tower, uh, keeping an eye out for er any errant projectiles. Yeah, I feel so bad for you here. Yeah, tough gig. (laughs) So he got to watch Kenny Loggins' set from the absolute best seat in the house for that show, and he said... Definitely a highlight of my Disney career. 25 years has clouded my memory somewhat. However, it's my recollection that the second night event was canceled due to a tropical storm that was headed our way. In fact, I think they had to strike the stage that night as soon as the oh. last show exploded. Wow. Okay. So they, they, they really got this in under the wire. They did. They mm. did. And thank you, by the way, Brandon, for your insider's account of that night's events. But as for the second night of Rockin' Rockets being canceled due to a tropical storm, this is what friend of the show, Bio Reconstruct, remembers. Oh. And he, he says, gosh, I'm pretty sure that Rockin' Rockets back in 1998 was only one night, with the second night being canceled due to a nearby hurricane in the, the approaching wind field. Mm. And okay, so... Here's the interesting thing. Two nights worth of show and fireworks got rolled into one. Yeah, so it was already going to be spectacular uh, over two mm-hmm. nights. And then they put yep. everything into one. Oh, my God. You, yeah. You, I, now, I, I would love to know what it would cost in today's dollars uh, to recreate this. Like, even if it's possible. Because, uh, again, you'd have to shut down the monorail. You'd have to mm-hmm. reserve the contemporary. I mean, the, you have to reserve the contemporary. So much stuff would have to happen. I don't even know that Disney would, would agree to this anymore. Back to Bio Reconstruct's memory of the, of the show. It said, I watched Rockin' Rockets from the top of the Contemporary after dinner at the California Grill. And it was bizarre to see my work. Roller Coaster Rabbit was the second of three Roger Rabbit shorts that were created for theatrical release. And what was especially cool about Roller Coaster Rabbit is that it was animated by the team at Walt Disney Feature Animation Florida. And that this particular Roger Rabbit short went out into, into cinemas uh, June of 1990. Uh, attached to all of the prints Disney made for Dick Tracy. But, all right, Wait, back to... Did, what? Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. And anyway, back to Bio Reconstruct's memory of the night. Uh, it was bizarre to see my work for Roller Coaster Rabbit up on the big screen, which was offered during intermission for Disney Rock and Rocket. So, uh, uh, I mean, did, did you know that Bio Reconstruct worked in animation? 
before this? I sort of alluded to it. I mean, again, you know, that Bio Reconstruct is a man of mystery. He, so he does you know, all, I mean, so many things. It's true. He does. And to this day, I don't know if it's a helicopter or a dirigible. I mean, how he's getting those shots. I, I, I just know. assumed he, he flew like Superman. I, I didn't know that there was. Wow. Yeah. Well, okay. there we go. All right. All right so. But, but again, when you think about, again, by reconstruct our eye in the sky, what's so cool about him getting to experience rock and roller coaster from, from the, you know, the, the California Grill? Yeah. It, it, he's, he's the, again, the eye in the sky. And he has um, pictures of them. He has pictures. In fact, if you go to BioReconstruct Twitter X, his feed on that platform for September 26th of this year, you can only see some images of some of the more spectacular shows that were shells that yeah. were fired off that evening. You could also see the elaborate, albeit temporary, huge physical plant yeah. that Disney built right across the street from the contemporary to stage this show. And this you was know, the just, this was the interesting thing to me because when I was looking at BIOS photos, I knew that they were mm -hmm. inside the California Grill, but for the life mm -hmm. of me, I couldn't figure out where inside the mm -hmm. California Grill because none of it looked familiar. And again, it's been 25 years, but also because they had yeah. so much special stuff set up, it was hard to figure out exactly where you were in relationship to the park. Oh, no, yeah, no, it was amazing. No, Great I, photos, too. I, no, no, killer, killer, killer stuff. Now, speaking of which, though, he describes, you know, this event that's being held up in the California Grill in conjunction uh, with Rock and Rockets is I did the California Grill dining event mm. for Rock and Rockets. It was great. They had us enter the kitchen to get our food. <laughs> we bumped into the cooks at their stations as they prepared our food to order right at the stove at times. And I have to ask, you have been to all sorts of dining events at Disney. You know, and, and remember, this is 1998. Yeah. The California Grill actually opened in May of, of 1995. Have you ever done an event like that where you went into the kitchen? I mean, an official Disney event where you go, no. I mean, for one thing, there's so much liability with guests oh, yeah. walking. I mean, yeah. there's boiling stuff. There's stuff on fire. There's sharp knives. Everything's wet. Yeah. I've been in a Disney kitchen during service, but not mm -hmm. as part of an event. Yep. yep. You know, and again, at some point, we're going to have to tell... <laughs> your great story from the open of, of mission space and the, <laughs> the soup oh my god the soup story <laughs> back to uh the rock and rockets and what bio mentioned earlier uh about the second evening of rock and rockets being canceled due to tropical storm well he's not wrong hurricane george's had formed out in the far eastern atlantic back on september 5th 1998 forecasters watching this thing as they gathered strength moving to the, the northwest and passing over first puerto rico and then hitting eastern Cuba. And so one week later, it's a Category 2, mm. extremely dangerous winds, reaching a speed of 110 miles an hour. And yeah. um, now, mind you, Georgia is just going to graze Florida. It would make landfall uh, in Key West and then veer off into the Gulf of Mexico. But the wind field for this thing, Len, was so huge, it reached all the way up to Tallahassee. Oh, and okay. it was the only entire state of Florida entire state of Florida. Okay. So it was one of these things where it's like, but it, you know, it was going to make landfall morning of the 25th, which meant that Disney could get in one show of Rock and Roller Coaster on the night of the 24th. But as Brandon mentioned, them striking the set, you know, the moment uh, that the, you know, the, the show ended because the thinking was that, you know, everything that was lying there on the ground with 110 mile an hour wind becomes a projectile. Jim, so it's like, Jim, guys, did we just write yeah. the script for a Sharknado 5? <laughs> did we? I think we did. All right. I think we did. Okay. okay. All right. I did. Slight modification of my usual spiel here. That check goes to Len Testa and Jim Hill, exactly. damn it. I'm getting my chunks. Exactly. Okay. So anyway, uh, now this is where it gets interesting. Uh, you know, we have what was supposed to be a two-night event, a 50th anniversary convention for the American Pyrotechnic Association gets crammed into a one-night event. And again, we know that Kenny Loggins and the B-52s perform yep. because, well, again, Brandon mentioned, you know, you know, up there in the, the corner of the contemporary looking down at, at Kenny Loggins perform his set. Bio-Reconstruct, a miracle worker, amazing man. He found online recordings, live recordings that were made of both of these groups as they performed amazing. at Walt Disney World. Amazing. And, and get a, you know, and in fact, he showed me, he ordered them and already had them. But in fact, it sent me photos. He sent me, he sent me photos of, too. The thing, I, the thing yeah. I loved about the um, the mm. sleeves that these CDs yeah. were in is it looked like somebody bought one of those 
late 1990s 500 fonts on a CD for $5 <laughs> and use the same three fonts on everything. Yeah. It was, oh, brought me back. Yeah. That was the time when, yeah, why, yes, I, I do have that recording. Hang on, let me fire up my printer. Anyway, this brings us to the other group that was supposed to perform at Disney's Rock and Rockets, 10,000 Maniacs. I know. And this is the thing I can't find any proof that they hit the stage on September 24th. So, could it be the 10,000 Maniacs who were supposed to perform the night of the 25th, the event that, that got canceled? Ooh, that, that seems likely, other, yeah. Well, the other thing that's that's kind of an interesting bend in the story, and again, this comes from Bioreconstruct, who actually listened to the B-52 CD, and, you know, the one that was supposed recorded live at Rock and Rockets, and what he noticed is it sounds like the B-52s recorded indoors, hmm. As part of the band's chit-chat between songs, the B-52s supposedly apologized to the audience for the fireworks display getting canceled. So oh, it's like, so maybe they, they performed on the second night. Well, or maybe, you know, remember, the, the folks are still there for the convention. Oh. Uh, huh. Maybe they just had the band perform somewhere indoors, and it's like, we're sorry you can't have the fireworks show, but, but we're here, and we're happy to entertain you. Hmm. Interesting. Anyway. But but again, still other interesting questions associated with Rock and Rockets. This note from Jin Nepley, and he says, Gentlemen, I vividly remember seeing a fireworks show from the beach at Wilderness Lodge being launched from the Contemporary, apparently part of some pyrotechnic convention. The joke between my wife and I was that the vendors didn't want to pack anything up and take it home with them, so instead they launched it all. You know, so it, was, it was impressive and, and memorable, but... Problem is, we didn't visit Walt Disney World in 1998. We oh. were at Disneyland that year. So did those conventions, and by extension, those shows happen later, like, say, 2007? Um, so, Jim, you're just one year off. The American Pyrotechnic Association returned to Walt Disney World in September of 2008 to celebrate the 60th anniversary of the founding oh. of that organization. And... <laughs> Over the course of that event, Len, they staged three different never-to-be-forgotten fireworks displays on property. Show number one was over the actual Lake Buena Vista along the waterfront at Downtown Disney. Mm -hmm. These the shells that were used in this presentation were provided by the Parenti Fireworks Company. Oh, from Italy. From Malera, from Malera, Italy. There we go. And that this one was presented on the night of September 18th, 2008. Show number two was fired off along the shores of Fort Wilderness. Uh, shows for that presentation were provided by Pyrotechnico of Newcastle, Pennsylvania. And that show was presented on the 19th. And then th show number three, the grand finale of the 60th anniversary of the American Pyrotechnics Association. That was presented right where Rockin' Rockets was staged, oh. uh, on the lawn across from the Contemporary. Shells were fired off from 24 different locations around the hotel. The show was entitled Welcome to Our World and featured music from Animal Kingdom theme park as well as the movie and stage version of Disney's Lion King. Wow. And this presentation was supposed to be the largest fireworks show ever to be presented on Walt Disney World property. And which, remember... Given the show we talked about on last week's show, the, the bicentennial yeah. presentation inside of the Magic Kingdom, where thousands of shells were fired off each night of that four-day-long oh, yeah, event. This was bigger than that. This was bigger than that. <sighs> but, but the beauty part, the beauty part, Len, you can go to YouTube right now and watch videos that people took at Walt Disney World in September of 2008 of both of these fireworks displays. The one that was done over Lake Buena Vista at Downtown Disney as well as Welcome to Our World. And I'm sure somewhere out there, somebody also has coverage of the Fort Wilderness show, but I, I couldn't come across that. But again, it's, so if you want to see and judge for yourself, is this in fact the biggest show ever? Just look for Welcome to Our World, September 2008 on YouTube. I think Jim, we, we have to lobby the American Pyrotechnics mm -hmm. Association to hold another convention in Walt Disney World. Like we need a we need a letter writing campaign here. 
that's a wonderful idea. But thinking of, of big fireworks-related stories, going to circle back to uh, Brandon Holst's uh, email that he shared. One last story, folks. Okay. You know, so here we go. As a college program cast member back in 1994, I talked my way into shadowing the Illumination stage manager one night. We got to watch the show from the control booth on top of the Mexico Pavilion, where there was a large council with each launch location status indicated, yeah. as well as a manual fire button for each of the barges in case the automation just didn't work as intended. There's actually and, another uh, uh, control booth, but I think for different show elements in, at Canada. I did not know that. Okay. I've, I'm not well, saying I've been in the console, but I've been very close to the console. <laughs> okay. Wow. All right, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Is there a button similar to the one that Go ahead, do the story. Yeah, do the story. Yeah. There we go. All right. In the corner of the panel was a lone button that labeled World War Three. <laughs> a submarine rises from the lagoon. <laughs> there we go. There we go. So curious, I asked the stage manager well, what that was all about. He told me that was for the New Year's Eve and Fourth of July shows at Epcot, where, as he described, they pull a batting cage, they put it on a pontoon boat, and stuffed it at the top with fireworks. And when the time comes, they hit the World War Three button. Yeah. There's, so, there, there, and just like World War Three, there's no going back once you hit the button. <laughs> no, 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 no. So yeah, that's so, one of the things. I, it, one of the things I miss is the uh, is the mm-hmm. holiday tag on yeah. on the Epcot fireworks because if you guys have ever experienced it, you know it does two things. Mm-hmm. One is it lights up the sky like it's daylight, mm-hmm. but at night. But number two. It's one of those rare times where you can actually feel the ground shake underneath you from fireworks. And it's just, you know, oh, yeah. like your chest is beating from the fireworks. It's just, it's, it's mm-hmm. very loud. It's very physical. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I kind of miss that. No, 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 absolutely. That, that, and you know, face it, you know, that sort of visceral yeah. uh, thing is, is why we, we love fireworks. Yeah, but anyway, I, just thank you to everyone who reached out this week and, and shared these amazing stories about Disney Rock and Rockets as well as other behind-the-scenes aspects of the Walt Disney World Resort. And again, next week, as promised, uh, we're going to take a close look at the park's Peter Pan flight attraction. Definitely. So. Great story, Jim. Thanks for everybody for, uh, for sending everything in. It was, uh, oh, these were really no, no, great uh, letters this week. Yeah, no, no, no. Really enjoyed them. Really enjoyed them. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the show today. You can help support our show and at Jim Hill Media by subscribing over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. On next week's show, we're going to do that history of Peter Pan's flight, one of the few attractions to appear in almost every Disney resort around the world. You can find more of Jim at jimhomemedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. Also, Jim and I are going to be doing a live podcast from the Theme Park Play Workshop at MIT's Game Lab around 7 p.m. on Thursday, November 9th, 2023. And the general public, that's you, is invited, and we'll have more details shortly. I cannot understand why MIT has. I already have standards. an opening line, which I'm not going to share uh, for the podcast. I already started writing the script. <laughs> anyway. Okay. We're produced okay. fabulously by Aaron Adams. We'll be serving up Nana Adams' world famous pistachio cannoli. The secret ingredient is love at the Shrewsbury Street Italian Heritage Parade this coming Sunday, October 8th, 2023, starting at noon on Shrewsbury Street in beautiful downtown Worcester, Massachusetts. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.